0: Well, it is an absolute uh, pleasure and privilege to be able to introduce you to Miriam Swaffield. Miriam is a good friend of ours. She's a good friend of this church. She works uh, as part of the Fusion team, uh, going all around uh, universities, encouraging and discipling students, uh, sharing uh, the gospel with those who don't know them, and encouraging those. Uh, Who do? Um, She is one of the most encouraging people that I've ever met. She's one of the most enthusiastic people that I've ever met. She's the most phenomenal communicator. I know, having listened to her talk already, that we are going to be encouraged. We're going to be given some practical tools in how we might share our faith with our friends. Don't all of you get up and walk out there. I know when I think about evangelism, it's easy to think, oh my goodness. Uh, The amazing thing about Miriam is she makes it sound so easy. Uh, And we are really going to enjoy what she has to say to us this morning. So, Miriam, welcome. It's fantastic to have you with us. Lovely. Good. Uh, you just changing the intro every time now. This is fun. Um, hello, hello. Um, I'm from Hertfordshire, live in York, travel all over. So, um, uh, York's a bit flooded at the moment. Hands up who's been to the pretty city of York? Well done, the room. Okay, so um, you'll know, York, it's uh, oldy-worldy. It's brilliant for independent coffee shops at the moment, right? Um, So we've got cobbled streets, we've got tiny little windy lanes, and we've got leaning buildings with wooden beams and things. And the thing is with the York coffee shops is that um, basically if you are going to have a conversation in there, particularly if it's going to be a deep and meaningful, you just have to be okay with the fact that the room is in that conversation it's too small, it's too confined, everything, um, the inner city of York, because of the castle walls, means everything's very compact, which does mean, as long as you're okay with that, um, people will be in your conversation, they will be eavesdropping, and, um, that's either very fun, if you're someone like me, or a nightmare, um, if you're trying to line manage someone (coughs) pastorally. which I've learnt the hard way, so don't do that anymore. Um, (laughs) so, um, I was in a tiny coffee shop just around the corner from where I work, and, uh, I was talking to a student. Um, I lead the student mission stuff for Fusion, so we equip the local church to reach students. That's the plan all over the UK. And um, this guy had shown up in his third year um, t- to our church, G2. I'm like a fresh expression of C of E church. He wouldn't know we're Anglican. Never had a an legal Anglican service in our lives, but technically that's who we are. Meet in a cafe, in a school, on an estate. This guy had shown up to our church on a Sunday, and he was in his third year, and for whatever reason ha- uh, was reconsidering the God thing and had found his way to G2. Uh, he then found himself in my house because I'd brought all the newbies around to my house um, for bacon sandwiches, and then we uh, just prayed and um, prophesied over each other. So I just talked to him about hearing God for other people to strengthen them, encourage them, and let's give that a go. And uh, poor bloke doesn't know Jesus, so had um, engaged in the prayer in a kind of, I don't mind getting prayed for, but I won't be shutting my eyes type moment, um, and he'd definitely been uh, thrown in the deep end. So he came up to me afterwards and said, "Miriam, I I've got loads of questions. Can we talk?" And I said, "Like absolutely. I'm sorry, and fine." So we ended up in this little coffee shop, and um, you know he starts with some of the classic, the big questions around like, "Who even is God? Is he there? Is he good? What's going on in the world?" But really, what he quickly zoned in on was um, lifestyle stuff. Uh, students, you all know in the room, but um, one of the most offensive things that we can do is display the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is self-control. Particularly in a culture of excess and hedonism, for us to be able to stand smack bang in the middle of this culture and display self-control, uh, it makes people uh, sit up and pay attention. Well, who do you follow and how do you do that? Right. So he basically had questions for me around, how is it that you, can't, you, that you don't get drunk? Like, How do you physically... Um, deal with social anxiety and how do you have the confidence and the security not to use a chemical uh, and then um and again uh, this won't be a surprise to anyone that's i guess maybe it's every generation but certainly um the 80s to 30s will know um you always get asked about your sex life if you're an out and out christian they're going to want to know okay so what does that mean in terms of sex well what does that really uh, how does that play out i don't understand uh, particularly in your teens and twenties, right? So that's, that's normal territory for us in, if you're honest about following Jesus in the playground, you'll have already had that. It's not a surprise that it comes thick and fast at uni. So this guy then goes, okay, so talk to me about that. Like, wh- why don't you, um, what's the point? Uh, and he basically just goes in with the lifestyle stuff. And I, I love it. Like, I, disclaimer, I am an evangelist, so I'm like, my bread and butter, I'm like the thing that makes me feel most alive is telling people about Jesus. But um, also, these are just classic questions of identity and purpose, and so they're really fun to be able to listen and then speak um, the story of God into. As we're speaking, um, I just noticed that behind this student, there's a woman um, to his left, uh, and actually, very quickly, I realised this conversation isn't for him, it's for her in this tiny coffee shop. She's been sitting there with her Kindle, but the screen's been black for at least 15 minutes, right? She's full on fake reading. And she's not even, but the thing is, she's getting less clever. Like the more that you go along with the conversation, the more she's just putting it down and turning and leaning and I'm like this is so I love this about York so like because I work for a Christian charity I have to go out of my way to have mates that don't know Jesus because you know at school and uni that was fine all of them didn't which means I'm not very good evangelist but never mind but uh, now I'm like I gather I collect them where I can so I'm friends with all the baristas in the local area and all that sort of stuff Um, sometimes it's great because if you make friends with strangers they like stuff happens like they buy you lunch it's really fun Americans did that of course they did love them so I'm sat in this coffee shop and I'm zoning in, and so when he said, J- just talk, tell me, so he vocalized all this stuff about um, lifestyle, and they said, well, tell me, why do you live where you live? And for her, I, Poured good news. I just was like, that's it. We are going for identity. And so I literally am like, you are handmade. You are on purpose. Your life is deliberate. I'm like preaching it to him, but to her, but to, you know, like you are worth more than the culture says. You are worth more than what people try to get out of you. You need to understand how highly valued you are. This is how I know. This is why you don't just go, um, you don't need to lose control and throw yourself around and be like, well, whatever's going to make me feel okay. I'm like, whoa, do you know? Like, do you know how much you're worth? Anyway, I go for it. She goes to the toilet and then I'm like, right, brilliant. Lean into the guy and bless him. I mean, he's already out of his depth on a number of levels now. So then I'm like, dude, I'm really sorry. The conversation we're having is also for the woman behind you. He's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, um, if she leaves, um, I might just have to stop our conversation and say something to her. And um, I'm telling you that because I'm, I'm less likely to bottle it if I've told you. It's kind of like the best way to, you know, I bottle it all the time. Like I love sharing Jesus and all the time I find a reason why. I just won't name drop him. I'll just step out of the conversation. I won't get involved because I'm British and feel a bit awkward and want to be liked and all that stuff that isn't of God. So then I'm like, all right, chill out. So I basically thought I'll, I'll get him to hold me accountable to talking to her. So I went, dude, if she gets up to leave, I'll probably have to say something, and he's like, okay, you know, all bets are off anyway now, <laughs> like, I'm so confused, <laughs> so anyway, she comes, sits back down, we carry on this conversation about identity, she gets up to leave, and I'm like, this is my moment, you know, don't because you've told him, and so, um, she packs up her bag, and then you just watch a glorious dither, you know, she, she knows she wants to talk, like, i have like, it's very obvious now, right, so she's just, like, slowly packing her stuff up, she's, go she doesn't go she's and she's n- but it's small the coffee shop so she's like there you know so eventually I just stood up and went I'm really sorry um <laughs> probably for lots of things but I'm really sorry I couldn't help but notice that I think you were really interested in what I was just talking about and she goes ah yeah sorry for sorry that I listened in I couldn't help it and I went no um I would if it's if you would like, I would love to give you my email and uh, why don't we actually go for coffee ourselves if you'd like to talk more about identity. Um, and she was blown away that someone would just offer her time and space, particularly because she was brand new to the city, which obviously I didn't know, she's from Canada, so she really like was way out of her depth in terms of settling in. Um, and uh, just to be able to say, look, um, I d- I d- that conversation was for you. So if you want to actually sit face to face properly, I'd like to get you coffee. And then um, those moments for me remind me why we're made. For me, I'm like, oh, I've just got a glimpse of how God really made humanity. Which wasn't to be isolated incidents, which wasn't to be um, so set on our own agendas that we've completely missed the point of being human, which was always like because we so love God, we can't help but love other people. We were never supposed to not do this in community. Your, your life was always supposed to have an overflow effect in the presence of God, of reaching out, touching, and transforming the world to reflect more of Him. When you come across those God moments where you can or can't step in, in the sense that God is always inviting you to be part of um, sharing him with other people. It's just whether you say yes or no, really. It's not like, oh, you've missed it and he's annoyed. It's more a case of he's constantly going, you're so invited. You're so invited to join what I'm already up to with this person. Would you like to? I'm not angry if you walk out of the coffee shop, but I am just saying you're so invited if you would like to be interruptible if you would like your schedule to not just be about um, my clear defined lines of what I do, then I do this, then I do this. And um, that's nice that she probably overheard. but it's really none of my business. No, it's all God's business is for humanity to connect and to be drawn to him. So I feel more human when I meet people and lay down my agenda just on the off chance that they might know more of Jesus because we were in the same space for a time. And If you follow Jesus and are full of the presence of God, therefore, I expect your workspace, your lecture halls, your houses, and your families to look different because of that. I expect um, people to have to contend with the presence of God because you're there. And so today, as we look again at um, the story that this beautiful family is based on, on the road to Emmaus, of course I'm going to zone in on sharing Jesus, but with an understanding that every single one of us um, has the capacity, uh, has the gifting, has uh, everything we need as found in God to share Jesus with people on the, w- on the road of our lives, on this journey that we're all on as common humanity. I really don't subscribe to the idea of, as an evangelist, you bring me your friends and then I'll tell them the gospel. I'm far more interested in how each and every one of you is an evangelist, whether you do the work of one or you do find that you're just lit up that way. You are the good news to your friends. You are the living, breathing representative of Jesus to your family, to your colleagues. I'm not going to go into your workspace, but you carry the presence of God in there. How are you being invited by God to join in with what He's already doing? And how might you, very practically, day to day, in your normal life, be the invitation of God to other people? So that's where we're going as we journey through the scripture. So, Please turn to Luke 24 if you've got it. It'll be on the screen, but I'm not going to read it all in one go. We are kind of literally going to walk, stop, walk, stop, walk, stop along the road. Just to notice, if we just took this passage and tried to take some tips from our Jesus about how he shares himself, how he helps people encounter the presence of God, what do we learn just from this passage? And so it really is as simple as that. I'm literally going to read, stop, and say, what do we notice? So we're in Luke 24. And I'll start with verse 13, and this is where the story starts. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Pause. The story starts with Jesus stepping into the everyday context of somebody's life. And when he does that, he doesn't immediately name drop himself. He doesn't crowbar a God chat straight into the story. I love that Jesus walks alongside people as they share and live out their story. He doesn't interrupt. He just joins you'll also notice that Jesus is walking shoulder to shoulder with them he's walking with them he's not stalking them sneaking up on them and hoping at some point to be like I've got a God story about that or can I pray for you now you know like he's he's not being creepy and he's also not um jumping in ahead of them and going like come follow me because you already are and you know like, keep up guys he's actually just stepped into the flow of their everyday, and he joins them shoulder to shoulder Who are you walking alongside in your everyday life? Do you know anyone who doesn't know Jesus? Or, I suppose the question is more, do you actually share life, walk side by side? Have you got under the surface level of small talk with somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Because it's one thing to have a bunch of colleagues that don't know Jesus and then, thank goodness, when you finish work, you get time to hang out with your Christian friends who really understand you. There's another thing to work out the costly but incredibly powerful idea of genuinely doing life in community with people yet to meet him. To get shoulder to shoulder with people, to share the dust that they walk in. Are you even in those conversations? Do you have any good friends that you share pace with who don't know Jesus? Because how on earth are we supposed to share him if we don't know anyone who needs to know? And how on earth are we gonna be distinctive if we're always around light? That's why I collect people in coffee shops, because I work with so many Christians, it's a nightmare. So, <laughs> I remember a, a student that I picked up, literally picked her up off the street at two in the morning. Um, it was a God thing though, I wasn't like hunting for her. Um, uh, she, I got woken up by screaming, there was a girl, she was locked out of her house, freaking out, blind drunk, didn't know where she was. It was January, it was genuinely freezing. And so I ran outside, found her a few doors down on a doorstep, um, managed to get her inside and uh, basically get as many layers on her as possible, give her a drink of water, and she fell asleep on my sofa. Um, I wasn't going to tell her about Jesus. The conversation didn't start with me walking into a vulnerable adult situation and preaching. It it started with, oh my goodness, we need to get a blanket around this person. And uh, to walk step by step, shoulder to shoulder, in pace with somebody's story that was already playing out basically meant that with this student, um, I just genuinely made friends with her. Start going for coffee with her and just listening to her life and her story. The temptation as a Christian, when you see a crisis moment, to step in and be the good news, when actually sometimes, um, they're f- sometimes they're just vulnerable and you just need help. And secondly, God plays the long game with people's lives. Yes, there are strangers that you'll only meet once, and then maybe there is a genuine opportunity to be like, I'm, I might not meet you again, please can I pray for you? But with this student, I just recognized, okay, this is a long game. She lives local, I'm local. The best thing I can do is begin to just walk at her pace and find out, okay, so who are you and what's your life like? And it started with entering, although quite a dramatic start in terms of being locked out and all that stuff, it just started with entering her world and just being there. Not making a big deal about who I I was as a Christian or anything like that, just be there. Who do you show up for? Who are you around already? Let's carry on along the road. Verse 17. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. Pause. I mean, he's faking it, isn't he? But he's funny. Like, he knows. Of course he knows. It's his story. But I love that Jesus is so generous um that again he's straight away he's not pushing his agenda he's a brilliant question asker now you can if you were to track um how Jesus shares himself or responds to people throughout the um Matthew mark luke and john um you'll see that he's dynamite with asking questions in fact the way he does evangelism a lot of the time is when someone will be like what must i do to inherit eternal life um he'll either tell a story or go what do you think basically or well what would you say or it just throws it back into, um, I guess, away from, I just sit and I get told, into let's actually dialogue in relationship about this. Well, tell me your story. He gives permission for people to have a voice and have space. And um, I, I, lo- I, love, I love asking questions, um, partly because it, it means, um, it reminds me, it's not on me to have smooth answers, to have the right response to, to give them the right evidence or facts or anything like that, um, it just reminds me who's, who, whose job it is to do the saving. If I consistently don't go, oh my goodness, if they've asked me a question, I'd better take all the airtime, this might be my only chance. They might never hear of Jesus again if I don't take all of the airtime now. I much prefer just going, like I remember a friend at school going, uh, Miriam, what do you think happens when you die, which is such a dynamite question. Um, and the best, the best thing you can do, I think, is go, what do you think first? Because it just, I think it's so loving to honour the person in front of you and genuinely be interested in who they are as a person, not just making sure that you got across who you know so they know where you stand. Actually, start with them. And the brilliant thing is by asking good questions, and giving space for somebody to just tell you the truth of who they are, the Holy Spirit will be talking to you going, and this is the story behind the story. This is the question behind the question. Because God knows he's up to something. So I love that Jesus didn't need to be told. He already knew. And his priority was not to give his agenda, but to say, talk to me. How are you doing? Have some space. Have some time. I've got all the time in the world for you. When was the last time in a conversation you asked a brilliant question and didn't do most of the talking? Can you remember a story that somebody told you from this week about their life? Can you remember a story that was below small talk? Or perhaps you've realized you don't, you kind of flip from one conversation to another that you can talk quite a bit, they can talk quite a bit, but we're actually missing each other. I think it's so easy to do, isn't it? Even just because we're so connected, we're disconnected. You know, the whole time I can be distracted by my phone and not really listen to the person in front of me. I wonder how it would change your sharing Jesus if you began to ask God, what would be a really good question here? Not, what's the right answer? What's the question behind the question? When they want to know, you know, what do you think happened at the beginning of the world, Miriam? Like, what do you think about evolution and creation? That's not what they're really asking. Actually, underneath, it's usually something along the lines of, am I made? Does my life count? Am I on purpose? Moving on. About Jesus of Nazareth, they Nazareth, crikey. About Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, they replied, brilliant. I don't even have a list, and I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus basically lets them extrovert what's gone on they gush and um, something that I, I pick up in this passage which I found really helpful when just reflecting with God is that the the healthy statement of we had hoped and the reality of going but actually we found this not only have I done that myself with God a number of times sat down with him and listed the things I had hoped for and then been really honest with him about actually God this did not play out how I thought but then, allowing your friend, allowing the person who doesn't yet know Jesus, but you've given space to, you've asked good questions of, allow them to be real about stuff that they got really hurt by. Oh, I had hoped this, but it ended up with this. You know, one of the best questions that um, I like asking is, what is your experience at church? Have you ever come, a Christi- come across a Christian before? Because it basically gives permission for them, and you, sometimes you have to do a little bit of digging, but to go under the surface of, usually if they've got an experience of church, there's a story there. If they've got an experience of a Christian, there's a story there. And it's really important, I've found, to be able to say to our, to apologize if someone's been hurt by the church. So, but they need to know that there's a safe enough space, because you're genuinely listening, that if they say, actually, I found this really hard, and so I haven't been back. To actually get there means you can then go through it and forward, because then you can say, oh, I'm really sorry because the church is like my family but we're dysfunctional because we're people. I'm so sorry you were made to feel like this. Did you know that Jesus is like this? Do your friends have space to be real and are you authentic about who you follow on the difficult days as well as the good days? On the days when you are um, celebrating the victory and on the days when you don't know where God is? do they know what it's like to really be a Christian? Not a gift wrapped, your life's glorious from now on, but the gritty reality of your call to suffer and um, through the refining fire there's gold, but this doesn't mean this won't cost you your life. What Jesus are we even talking about? I love that he gives permission for them to go, I'm disappointed with God because he, he will then make sense of that for them. Of course he will but we need to know the reality before we speak into it rather than going straight in with our agenda. He goes, okay, well, what's real for you? What's happened to you? How are you actually doing? Then Jesus says, verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not this Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, this I love because this is where Jesus—he—he um, he isn't just a passive spectator to these people extroverting their lives, because he is the truth. He's not afraid. In fact, he's unapologetic in also speaking truth into a situation. There comes a time in how we share Jesus in our day to day when it is right, good, and life-saving to be able to tell the truth. And that does not mean you're preaching from a soapbox, but you know the truth. It has set you free. So of course we've got to mention him. Of course we've got to name drop Jesus. Of course we've got to say we actually know the way to live. We know the truth in life. And we are, we are actually alive for the first time by knowing him. We don't need to apologize for who we follow, how we're made, and what we know. But it's an invitation it's not defending something. It's a response to the person's story to say, let me tell you where God is in this story. With this girl that I'd in off the street. So um, we, you know, we've been friends for like, it's probably about a year into our friendship hanging out. I basically was, in, um, I was discipling her, but she didn't know. You know, one of those where you're just like, because um, the disciples didn't all, uh, interestingly, um, the disciples weren't all like, Sold out disciples of Jesus in terms of they were already knew he was the Messiah when they started following him, right? So making disciples is a journey and a process. So you can disciple people before they actually meet Jesus. You can disciple them into meeting Jesus and then carry on discipling them after they've been saved by him. You see, because this whole thing it's not like a one hit wonder moment. It's a journey. Anyway, so I've been discipling her for about a year without her yet giving a life to Jesus, but now she knows about him, and she tells me her life story. One day we got into like the ins and outs of. Um, her childhood and teenage years and it was extraordinary and um, some awful bits to be honest and I guess a bit like Jesus um, hears their story and then goes okay let me tell you where God is in this story. A bit like because these guys, their book, their, the story of their people, like the, the scriptures for them was their story they were holding on to, waiting for the Messiah. Of course he started with their story, opened open the scriptures and went, you know your story? Let me show you Jesus in your story. This is what I did with this student. But um, in this case, in some cases I'd definitely use the actual Bible, like let's learn about Jesus by reading about him because he went to scriptures about himself. But in this scenario, she tells me a life story. And I begin to piece this thing together, realizing the Father is already up to something. The Holy Spirit's been working in this girl's life for years. It's just she didn't know his name. So I'm like, right, you know that charity that um, basically saved your life when you were a teenager, right? This charity mentored her and helped her um, through a really depressive time. And actually, they were the only people that believed that she could get to uni. And, and she went, yeah. And I went, right, um, the person who set up that charity is my mate. Like, they know Jesus. That's why they set the charity up. It was a bizarre moment when I realized where it was. Then she says, oh, the mentor that I had knew stuff about me without me telling her. So when I sat opposite her, she'd be able to tell me about my life. And it would make me cry every time. She'd sit with me for an hour whilst I cried. And, and I always felt more peaceful and more free. But how did she know? So then I'm like, right, So that person's a Christian. And let me tell you about the presence of God and the effect it has on a human, right? So start talking about um, how God speaks to you and gives you insight and helps you love people. and helps. Anyway, so I'm just drawing the God narrative that's already in her life. Just like Jesus took the scriptures and went, this is where I already am. You see? You see? If you don't know someone's story because you're not actually in their life and you're not actually friends, how are you supposed to spot the God moments and name them? If they've never told you what's true for them, how are you supposed to have any permission or space to say what is the truth? It goes back to genuinely loving the person in front of you and then being unashamed to go, because I love you, of course I have to tell you who I follow. Of course I have to tell you why I love, otherwise I'd be a less good friend. Because he's my best friend and he saved me. Oh my goodness, like, this is good news. It's not just a nice optional extra if you're not quite sure how to live. It's like, this will literally breathe you into the life for the first time. Of course I've got to tell you. But I've loved you enough to listen to you and look you in the eye. So I know, I know uh, that I'm speaking to someone that, you know, there's, there's genuine friendship there, not just an agenda. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening the day is almost over so we went in to stay with them again i love it jesus the joker he wasn't going to leave but he faked it brilliant so he's just like i love it he cuz again he didn't crowbar himself in at the start he just joined at their pace and then it gets to um nighttime and you know they're going to have to go for dinner he doesn't overstay his welcome he's not i mean jesus definitely is not afraid of an awkward moment he creates them sometimes probably for fun but um, he's not socially awkward, like as in he gets um, he, that he might not be invited. They might not want to know more. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he is secure and he is secure enough to know when to stay and also when to go. I always find it a challenge when he sends out his followers, the 12 and then the 72, and they basically send them door knocking. And he says, when you meet a person at peace, basically when someone's like, yeah, you're great. Do you want to have dinner? Stay, eat with them. If that person's like, I don't want to know. Jog on. He doesn't go, bang the door down. He goes, shake the dust, move on. Come on. It's all right. It's okay. Why? You're not in charge of the results. Holy Spirit does the heart change. God is in charge of the results. Like the parable of the sower, we are called to sow seriously, generously with this good news. We're not in charge of the results. I can't make the thing grow, but I will be as generous as I can in letting you know that it's possible. So I love that. He just gives them the option to say, that far and no further. And that's heartbreaking for any of you that's been in that situation when your mate goes, I don't want him. Thank you. Like That's the worst thing out. I've had it with my housemates, you know, when they know him. They've met him. They've heard his voice. We've read about him. And they go, "Um, it costs too much. I don't want him. But we're still on a journey. Interestingly, they are kind of... You can't quite live without him when you've met him. Anyway. So... um, he pretends to go, see ya. Oh, oh, you want me to stay? Brilliant. He, he allows some space again to be invited in further. He doesn't overstay his welcome, but he says yes when there's an invite. He's so interruptible, Jesus. He's so up for being interrupted by humanity. So going for, for some food. When he was with them at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? Who do you eat with? Who is your invite one more to your dinner time as a family or as a house? Do you ever do that kind of community? Do you ever let, do, like Hannah's brilliant talk on hospitality, which I listened to that's part of this series. Please listen to it, and um, I hope some of you put it into practice this week, but um, how are you actually eating with people and sharing that normal everyday life stuff with them like Jesus did? It's an incredible way to model family, the family of God. Secondly, I mean, in this situation, Jesus literally chose the bread and the wine, and that's such a memory trigger for these guys, because they've seen him do the whole do this in remembrance of me stuff, so no wonder they're like, oh, my word, all of the things are aligning here. Now I see who you are. You've given me some memory triggers. It's our job to trigger people's memories of where they might have come into contact with God before. It's our job to go, hey, actually, you know, I think God might have been in that. I don't really believe in coincidence. I would suggest that God might be trying to catch your attention. Why? You know, we get to tell the God story and draw it out of what the Father's already doing, like I said before help trigger people's memories. Jesus also prays. Prayer is an incredibly relational, generous thing that we can do to share Jesus with people because we're giving away something that is nothing to do with us, that isn't something that's going to be skill or I can fix it. We are giving away an opportunity for the presence of God to meet somebody. My big challenge at the moment is I find it easy to name drop Jesus because I've I've practised. Uh, it's not like it's in it's a discipline to learn how to keep mentioning Jesus in conversation but I practice um then I find it quite easy to go I'll pray for that but I forget so my new thing that I've been practicing particularly zoning in on in the last year so it's getting much more as my normal now but I'm not always there but I'm getting better is to say what can I pray for you now or can I pray for that now Because um, it scares me, so it's good for me. But also, because then I have to give the opportunity for there and then, in that moment, the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do and invite God into that person's life. And it might be as simple as on the street and she goes, well, actually, my husband's here. Well, can I pray for him now with you? Do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? Let's just pray together for him. All the way through to with my friends that I've been journeying with for years that still don't know him. I'm just trying to get bolder at saying, I'd love to actually pray for you If God were alive today, and if he were interested in your life, what might you ask him? Make it specific so we'll know if he answers, you know, like that sort of thing. Jesus prays, he invites God into that moment. And it's really simple, if you're a family and you have another family over for dinner and you do the grace thing, still do it when people that don't know Jesus are in the house. Just keep authentic, keep real. Don't change your habits because someone else is there. God is there, invite him in, like it's okay, they're in your house. Let them see your life. And then he disappears. Brilliant. (laughs) Just because he can. Boom. Gone. Anyway, verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke the bread. Evangelism is addictive. Evangelism breeds evangelism. Sharing Jesus will mean that you share more of Jesus. The more that you learn to share the good news of Christ, the more you realize it's good news. The fun thing is, as soon as you step out of your comfort zone and into the possibility of the presence of God showing up, then when you start to, to name drop Jesus and realize it doesn't go so bad, when you start off to pray and you realize there was a genuine opportunity and they actually felt peace, this thing becomes addictive because you start to realize all bets are off. We can all cause kingdom mischief most of the time. We're all carrying around the presence of God with us and his agenda is always to reach his humanity his invitation to you is always, do you want to play today? Because I'm already up to stuff. Are you in? So as soon as you start to go, okay, I'm going to try, God. I'm just going to have a go at not at like mentioning you, at actually listening to people, at asking the Holy Spirit. If there's one question I can ask them, what would help today? It gets addictive because you start to see results. You start to see God encounter people. You start to have these life giving conversations where we all got past the small talk and into actual existence and what you're really about and how the world might change if we actually lived this different life because of who lives in us. We've got to have a go, but um, it becomes very fun. And we're at a time where we were a bit of an anomaly to be an active Christian. And particularly if you use the word like, I follow Jesus, which I try and do rather than say I'm a Christian, just to kind of catch my card a bit actually. (laughs) Just they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, boom, there's a conversation. But um, to say you follow Jesus, people are interested in the, what does that really mean? Like that student opposite me, how does that really work? With that offensive fruit, the Holy Spirit, that is self-control, how does that look? It gets addictive. So that's it really. Just journeying on the road through Emmaus. If you were to read it again this week, just with the lens of how does Jesus show me how to share Jesus? That journey alone is incredibly helpful at very practical, on the ground, relational, day by day. We are the living, breathing invitation of God. So I want to finish by praying for you simply because um, you can try this this week. And God will be giving you opportunities. Um, Because I've put it on your radar, you will just notice more of what's already been there. Um, You've always got opportunities, actually. But also ask the Holy Spirit to make it super clear to you if you're a bit nervous about it. Just show me who I should talk to. If you do it in your own strength, this will be great for a week or so, then you'll get tired, then you'll feel guilty, then you'll burn out and then you'll quit because it doesn't work. This is why we need to pray because I bottle it and I'm actually an evangelist. So God's supposed to have made me to be able to quit the church for this and I still bottle it all the time. So I have to remember the power of God in me is what transforms lives. It is the strength of the Holy Spirit. It is the overflow of the love of God in me. That's where I want to operate out of. Not of clever words and good answers, of genuinely loving the person in front of me because I'm full up with the love of God. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for you. So Holy Spirit, thank you that you are already here. Holy Spirit, thank you that you made a home in our hearts. Thank you, God, that you've filled us up with your presence And that we are now the walking, talking, living, breathing representatives of Jesus on the earth. I simply ask in the name of Jesus for each one of us to be filled afresh with the power and presence of God. Holy Spirit, will you come and remind us that we have everything we need in you. Holy Spirit, will you make us more aware of your presence in us and pouring through us. Father God, I pray that each one of us would feel incredibly free to be who we are and um, have an incredible compassion for the person in front of us so that, of course, we're going to share the author of love and life. We think now of the people that have been coming to mind throughout this talk, people that don't yet know you, that family member, that friend, that housemate, that colleague. Holy Spirit, you've already been showing us their face. You've already been nudging us as I've been speaking. We picture them now. And very simply, God, we contend again for their life. We want our mates to come to know you, Jesus. And our simple prayer is, will you use me? Can I be part of your good news to that person? Thank you that you invite me to reach your humanity. And we simply say, yes, use me, God. Use my friendship. Use my dinner table. Use my time use my prayer, use my words. Father, we ask that many people will come to know you because we faithfully journey with you and through you. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.